Hi there, everybody. Ed asked me to chime in and let you know about me. My name is Dan, and I am weird. But I don't see weird as a bad thing. Weirdish means people marching to the beat of a different drum, not fitting into that hole that society wants to shove you into. On my show, The Power of Weird, I'm talking to people like me. The weirder, the better. So when you're done listening to this great episode of the Dead America Podcast, come on over to thepowerofweird.com and start the descent into your weirdom. And remember, be the weird you want to see in the world. I'll see you next time on The Power of Weird. Welcome to Season 7 of Dead America Podcast. Leadership. It's a big word. Today, we are speaking with Stephen Foster, and I'll tell you, this man is the pinnacle of leadership. Stephen does so much for this great nation through giving back. I am super excited, and I was super honored to get to speak with Stephen and share what he does with you. Let's not waste any time and get into this great episode. Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be around this wild, wacky, and sometimes disturbing world of ours. Yes, that's the intro to the Mindset Podcast, a weekly attempt to open eyes and shedding light on what's really going on in the world, all done by ripping apart the media madness that masquerades as news. Join me, Gareth Davis, every Sunday on the Mindset Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting services such as iTunes, Stitcher, and so on. Or you can go directly to the main Mindset website. That's www.mindsetcentral.com. Check out the Mindset Podcast. Bring your curiosity, your opinions, and a sense of humor. And remember that some worldviews are stranger than others. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today's guest, we have Stephen Foster. He is from Full Throttle Leadership, and he has an awesome story to share with us, and let's get right into it. Stephen, could you please introduce yourself and tell people just a little bit about you? Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, uh, Ed. Thanks for the opportunity. So, uh, as Ed said, my name is Stephen Foster. I own a leadership training and goodness development group in Texas called Foster and Fathom. And what we focus on is a couple of things. Uh, leadership training at the organizational level, boots on the ground, developing skill, 
capability, direction, what we call passion, power, and purpose. Uh, and then uh, the rest of my time is spent on the road speaking and, and sharing lessons on leadership, service, and sacrifice that I've learned over a 30-year career. Well, Stephen, you sure are involved with a lot of things. And I am just blown away with what you do. Let's talk first about you and your ride around this great country of ours. Could you talk a little bit about what that was like and why you did it in the first place? You know, I can talk all day. How much time do you have? Well, first of all, I'm a, uh, a Harley-Davidson Life member. That's what I do for fun and enjoyment and to sort of clear my head. Uh, I've ridden motorcycles pretty much since I was 10 years old, and I'm, I'm 65 now, so I am a, definitely a lifer. Uh, so I've done all the things, all the rallies, all the rides that if those of your listeners who uh, ride motorcycles would know, you've done, been to Sturgis and to Laconia and done the Four Corners ride and all kinds of short rides, medium rides, and small rides. The, the ultimate biker bucket list ride is a perimeter ride of the United States. It's, it's something that fewer than a thousand people have ever done. Um, it was first uh, accomplished in the 70s by a woman named Hazel Cobb, who wrote a book called uh, On the Edge of America. And so she really sort of kicked it off and sort of inspired people to do it. So it's something you talk about. I've certainly talked about it for years and had one planned for years, but I just never found the time. Life intrudes. Uh, you get busy raising kids, building a business. But as I got close to 2013 and I had been heavily involved in the veteran service organization space for a couple of years, um, came up with an idea to do a perimeter ride with a bunch of friends. Um, use that opportunity to, uh, yes, check off the bucket list, but also, more importantly, to raise awareness and some funds uh, for um, for a, a service organization where I'm heavily involved called the Boot Campaign. So we're planning the ride. Uh, we know we're going to be gone for over a month. Uh, it looks like it's going to be somewhere between 13,000 and 15,000 miles. We're planning. We're gearing up. About 10 of us are going to schedule to go. And the closer that we get, um, I bet you know where the story's going, uh, more and more of my buddies fell off for all kinds of reasons. And within 24 hours, it was pretty clear that I was going to be going uh, doing this solo. It was never planned as a solo ride, but I committed to do it. We, we had the full backing of the Boot Campaign to help us with PR and marketing. So um, late in June of 2013, I set out on what ultimately became became a 34-day, 34-state, 13,000 and change solo ride around the perimeter of America. And and I have to tell you, Ed, it was at the time, I, I'd ridden some long rides. I'd, I'd probably busted out a 5,000 ride here and there with friends, but never something of this scale or scope by myself. So even with all of my capability and skill, uh, I knew it was going to test me. And I knew that I would be out there by myself, so that if something happened, I'd have to, you know, I'd have to figure that out. But I got to tell you, it was ultimately it was the best thing that ever happened because because I was by myself. And yes, I had a schedule to keep, but there were so many opportunities that popped up. People heard about the ride. We had a lot of publicity around it. We had television coverage. 
So I would constantly get texts and emails and phone calls along the way from folks that I didn't know, organizations that, that called to say, uh, hey, I, I hear you're coming through New Orleans or I hear you're, you're coming by Niagara Falls. We've got this event or we've got this veteran who would like to meet you or we've got this organization. Could you come and spend a few minutes with us? And so it was always easy to go off route. And because of that, uh, I met people that I never would have met. I had encounters that to this day I'm still hearing from people that I met on the ride. We raised a ton more money, uh, but ultimately at the end of the day, I got to accomplish two things. I supported the service organization, which was the main goal, but I got to see a lot of America and meet a lot of people way before all of the craziness that's been going on in the country for the last couple of years. And I got to tell you, it, it made me then, and it keeps me today very optimistic that we have way more in common than divides us. And all we have to do is just meet people where they are uh, and learn about them and just take time to listen. And, uh, and, and to me, that was the, the great joy and the great learning lesson of the full throttle leadership ride in 2013. Boy, we need more of that. I'll tell you, what you just said is so alarming. Many of us forget we live here together and we all are American and we should think about that more often. That That's amazing that people get off track. So leadership, it's a big word. A lot of people <laughs> say that they are <laughs> yeah. It's a big word, and a lot of people say that they're leaders. Uh, what makes your leadership program special? Well, I, I have always believed, and I've, I've learned, uh, I've learned to appreciate it as I've gotten older, that uh, leadership and motorcycling actually have a lot in common, uh, more than you would think. Um, both leadership and motorcycling involve groups of people focused on arriving together at a desired destination, sharing a journey fueled with meaningful experiences and building skills and capability on the way. That, that's what they have in common. Also, neither leadership or motorcycling in and of itself is inherently dangerous, but the difference, I think, is that motorcycling is extremely unforgiving of inattention, indifference, and incompetence. And I think that goes right to the definition that you're looking for. A lot of people say they're leaders, but they're me-focused, not we-focused. Uh, they're, not, they're not interested in learning anything new. They want to be the mouthpiece. Uh, they don't have a communication strategy that works in all instances. And ultimately, uh, it's about them, and that's where I think leadership fails. And we've all had those experiences, right? I, I tell people all the time, I worked for three of the worst bosses on the planet in my career, and I've worked for three of the best. So I learned just by watching how they interacted with their people and what their focus was. And they all had one thing in common. It was always we, not me. And if you made a mistake, you owned it, you picked yourself up, and you got back and you started moving. And so I, I think for me, that's what leadership is. It's, it's service, it's sacrifice, um, it's being there. And it's not about you. It never has been. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people don't understand that. I 
have been a leader for quite some time, and I believe that if you're going to ask somebody to do something, you should be willing to do it yourself first. And sometimes that takes – you've got to start from the bottom and work through the steps all the way up to the top so you can be a leader. Leadership just doesn't happen. There oh. are born leaders, but leadership doesn't just happen. So, so you, you, you got to work at it. I, you know, I'm often asked, though, so who's a good example of a leader that you that you would say? And I, I'd say absolutely – Without a doubt, look at Jackie Robinson. Okay, so you know, look at the effort and the resistance that he met. Uh, so he was always challenging the status quo, but he didn't make it about himself. He made it about the team. Um, he he wasn't interested in being in the spotlight. Um, you know, he didn't suffer foolish and entitled and the status quo, and he wasn't interested in awards. And praise. He just wanted to do the job. So I think that's what leadership is. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's a lot of people like that. You know, they they don't want praise. They don't want a lot of uh, awards. They just want the team to work at the most efficient level it can get to. And that's what leadership's really truly about to make it the easiest, the most efficient, and effective, no matter what you're doing. So yeah. I remember many years ago, I took a leadership training program from the Moose, and they always pointed out that nobody can finish everything alone. You're always going to find an area someplace that you need help in. Oh, I need the right leadership is a team sport. You you nailed it. Right. So finding the right help, being around the right people to have the right help. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So first and foremost, make no mistake, leadership is hard work. Uh, There's no quick fixes. Uh, you are committing to the long haul, uh, a grind um, to deliver consistent results. Uh, most organizations want that. They want high performance. Uh, always balanced with managing these multiple and conflicting priorities. So building a team that understands who we are, what we want, where we want to go, how we're going to get there, and who's coming with us, that, that's the key to building a successful leadership team. And then from there, uh, you you check off all those boxes. I, I have found that the number one key to a successful leadership team is um, the shared interest, so goals, uh, destination, however you define that, and then a way to communicate along the way. Because also leadership, motorcycling, on a bike, or in business, Somewhere along the way, the wheels are going to come off, the tank's going to get low, somebody's going to go down, and that's where literally the rubber meets the road, to use a motorcycle term. And so if you've got this shared interest, everybody knows where they ultimately want to end up, and a way to communicate what's happening, what's next, then that's that's the secret sauce. 
And that's why you see year over year the same 10 companies that always appear on the Forbes list of the 100 best places to work. They, they all do different things, you know, from Starbucks to Southwest Airlines to Harley-Davidson to Google, right? But what they have in common is this, this sense of tribe, this shared interest, this communication language, this cultural that says we're all in it together. Uh, we experience loyalty, we, we, uh, belonging and meeting. And we're stronger when we come together and we can do more than any one of us individually could ever dream of doing. That's right. You know, and that brings up a good point. We are only as strong as our weakest link. And as a leader, we should identify our weak links and we should build those, make sure they're just as strong as each and every one of the other links and a lot of people they tend to want to how should i put this harbor the knowledge for themselves in a job position so they have job security but job security really means everybody knowing the full job at their best so if we don't understand the job that we are doing, it can lead into those troubles that you talked about. How can we avoid this through proper training? Well, skill building is a key component of both leadership and motorcycling, right? I mean, you, you don't just start off, oh, I, I'm a leader, here, let's go. Nor do you jump on a motorcycle and say, I want to be at the head of the pod. So there are years of training. It's years of skill building. And you have to have that as part and parcel of any organization's um, leadership uh, training culture. Uh, I'd say leadership training, skill building is like motorcycle maintenance. So you, you don't want to neglect it. You, you Regular checkups, uh, kick the tires. How are we doing as a team? Where, where did we go wrong on the last um, project that we began together? What were the gaps? You mentioned earlier, uh, and I wish I could recall where I heard this, but someone pointed out, you, the team, you always play to the, le the least skill on a team because everybody comes at it, but you need every person's participation. And I saw something where it said the year the years that Michael Jordan and that great team did their three-peats, they always focused on how many points Jordan was scoring, how many uh, defensive rebounds uh, you know, Rodman got. But the reality is the guy that was on the, the, the least score, the least amount of minutes on those three-peat teams year over year only had like 10 minutes average playing, two points, a steal here. But it was all important to the bigger picture. So um, it's easy to focus on the marquee players, the high performers, but the reality is uh, team is about everybody contributing. And if you figure out a way to celebrate that, to cultivate that, to get everybody where they are, then you, you've got a machine. You've got something that's sustainable, and that's what, that's what organizations want. You, know, you start where you are, you use what you have, you do what you can, um, and you challenge yourself always to find a way to be better. Yeah. 
So in my research, I ran across a YouTube video where you were talking about return on investment. Mm -hmm. This is very important to know how to measure our return on investment. I found it fascinating and very enlightening. Could you talk to us about the measures we need to implement when we think about ROI? Oh, absolutely. So uh, that's a that's a huge uh, measurement um, or a key performance metric, depending on if you like ROIs or KPMs. We love uh, acronyms in business, uh, but it really is what what's it, what is essential to your organization you know, i find that most organizations pretty much can define their goals in an hour um, they know where they want to go they know what their margins are they know how much product they want to sell but what they really have to do to measure is figure well what do we need to stop doing because many times less can be better. That's a measurable. Ooh, what can we stop doing that makes us more efficient? In business, we call that increasing your speed to market. Um, a key focus is how are you consistently good individually and collectively? And once you identify that, just do it over and over and over. I call that disciplined simplicity. Just focus and practice what you do good. Um, and then I think, you know, another key um, return on investment ROI is make sure that you have the clear processes and set expectations for behavior. I can't tell you how many companies I work with uh, that all come in and, and the CEO or the CFO or the senior VP will say, well, this is what I think our issues are. And then they'll lay it out. He or she will lay it out for me. And then I always request time before we get together as a group to talk to everyone who's going to be at the meeting, typically a smaller, you know, a team, a small team. And what I find probably 70% of the time is there is a huge disconnect between what management thinks is the issue and what the boots on the ground people that are in the fight every day think is the issue. And so just getting them to get into a room and saying, all right, I'm going to put everything on the board that we you've said is a, a challenge. And a lot of times they're going, well, those are completely opposite. Right. So where is the disconnect here? Um, what are our processes to deal with these issues, to communicate these issues, to make sure that we're all on the same page? And then right behind that, it's always people in process. What are the behaviors? What's the expectations? I don't think I've ever been on a motorcycle ride or worked with a group where I, the first question I ask them is, what do you expect out of this journey you're about to take together? What are your must-haves? And have you spoken those out loud directly to the people that are about to begin this journey? Because if I don't know what you want and you don't know what I want, then how are we ever going to make sure that we have this shared journey, this common destination that we all win at the end? That's a must-have. Yes. Yeah. Being open upfront about any type of dealings that you're doing together, that's always a must. One thing you do very well is give back. I see that you work with many cause businesses is what you relate it as, I believe. 
like Heartstrings, Autism Speaks, Canvas Connections. What makes you give back so much and why should we do it? Well, you and I were, and thank you for that question, because for me now, that's that's the sweet spot for me. You and I were talking uh, before we went live about uh, service and sacrifice. So I'm a, I'm a military family kid. I've got lots of years of military service in my family. Um, grew up sort of living all over the country. So I saw firsthand, um, you know, the service and the sacrifice that military families make with something, uh, you know, as simple at first glance as a mom and dad not being around for Christmas because they're on deployment or they're they're working. So for me, I, I, that was always sort of a key component piece. As I got older and, and got into what I do now, I realized that the most successful organizations um, had this had this culture of service, had a culture of what I call goodness. They were committed to giving back in the communities where they live, work, and meet. And, and I, I believe 100% that great leadership begins with a willing heart and, and a positive attitude and a desire just to make a difference. And so I think it's important that as individuals and organizations, especially in the post-COVID world when we were so disconnected, is that we make an effort to – to live into what I call a heart thing, not a head thing. Business is a head thing. Goals, revenues, expenditures, capitalization, that's a head thing. But it's not ultimately sustainable if there isn't a culture, it's a heart thing culture where you care about one another, uh, employees, uh, and and you make a difference wherever you're headquartered. That, that's so, so important. So for us at Foster and Fathom, one of the things that we do is we have a goodness department. And in addition to all of the leadership training and the facilitation and the consulting, we're often asked to uh, work with companies to help create culture. And I always ask them, uh, who are you aligned with in the community as a charitable partner? And most organizations will do things like, uh, you know, they'll they'll collect coats in the winter and give them to a homeless shelter, or they'll do a toy drive at Christmas, or they'll do a canned food drive for the local food bank. And that is so, so important. That's the first step. But if you really want to make that sustainable culture, then you don't do what I call one-offs, where, you know, at a holiday or whatever, you're just collecting stuff. That need is there, and it's important, and I, and I don't want to downplay it. But so many of the great organizations that I work with actually have a charitable organization that they're aligned with. It could be Autism Speaks. It could be a veterans, a homeless program. It could be a food bank. It could be the local children's hospital. And pretty much once a month, they're doing some kind of employee-led activity where they, they'll go to the hospital and they'll, they'll read to the kids that are, you know, in the hospital or they'll, they'll put together birthday parties or Halloween parties for those kids in, who are undergoing life-saving treatments and, and are in the hospital. Or they'll go to a, a food bank and they'll serve meals. So you make it part of the culture. There are a couple of organizations I work with that are, that are like Hall of Famers when it comes to this. And once a quarter, they take a day. Every employee is given the paid day off 
they'll come to the office or they'll do it from their home, and the employees will raise funds for an organization that they care about. And the most creative ideas, the top five, whatever the total amount of money is raised for any of the individual organizations, the company will match that for the top five organizations. And you talk about a wow. You talk about employees who will work when uh, when others won't, who are committed, who won't leave an organization even when they're offered more money because they want to stay at that culture. That is true leadership. That's true goodness. Uh, and that's that's that is sustainable. Uh, way way more than brand. Way more than people. That's culture that makes a difference. Everybody wants to be part of that. Yes, giving back is so important. And the more we do it, the more we receive. And a lot of people, they can't wrap their head around that concept. But once you do implant that thinking into your brain about giving as much as you can, it just starts flooding in for you and you kind of feel overwhelmed at times with it. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with how much you have to do in your own mind? No, if if anything, it's just the opposite. You know, we, we all have those days, right? That everything goes wrong and the, the the client you thought was going to sign on the dotted line doesn't, or the, the supplier partner that you thought was going to be there, you know, the logistics failed or, you know, you're, you're just your personal life isn't going the way you thought it was. And it's so easy to, again, to do that me thing. But the reality is the more that I see that there are people out there in way more need than I am uh, in way more dire circumstances. And the fact that they're able to get up every day and do what they do, but they have this sense of hope and this sense of, grit and determination to me that's that's just always so inspiring so i I try not to give into the frustration of you know where i want to be and where i am now and just say you know okay that's life but you know what am i willing to do to step out of me um and help others and it, it you know i mean again it's it's uh, it's as old as the saying: if you if you want to understand a person, walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, I like to get out and walk in people's shoes. I like that. That's very inspiring. You know, a lot of people they have to do that, and if if we can get more people doing that, I like to look back and see where I was and how far I've actually come and. Actually, those people that you interact with, understanding how much more they need than what I can actually give them, and just talking to people, understanding how we live together, reaching out to our community, where, especially where we live. That's mm-hmm. very important. We have so many people in dire straits now this pandemic has put a lot of fear into people Mm -hmm. as leaders we have to look beyond the rhetoric the hostilities and we have to kind of bring people together what are some good ways to get people thinking about 
togetherness. Well, you absolutely nailed it. If, if if we learned anything from the pandemic that we're still, you know, navigating as things start to open up, you know, I, I hope the lessons learned is that disconnect and disruption, um, they're bad for the soul. Uh, they're bad for a sense of community, and they force us into this isolation where naturally, um, and this isn't a political statement, but naturally we, we tend to gravitate toward what we feel is is right, what we feel is is appropriate for ourselves. And so we, we you know, we sort of close off to the world. And, and we weren't built that way. You know, we, we were built, we're tribal people. We're, we were built to gather around the campfire and share stories and, and share lessons and learn from one another and listen to one another. And so yes. I think as organizations um, and as people, it's time to step out of what was and step into what is now and help define what will be. Uh, and you, there are many, many instances in our country in the world history where uh, things have tried to separate groups of people. And and you don't have to be a history major to go back and look at some of those things. And there's only two ways to go. Um, you further isolation, which ends in complete abject failure, or um, start moving and start talking to people and start getting out and start giving of yourself and listening. Uh, boy, that's a skill we all need to develop, right? We, we heard that growing up is, you know, you, you need to listen more. You need to listen more. And I think that's a, it's almost a lost art. Uh, yes, get out. Is. You know, that was one of the great things about the full throttle leadership, right? Is I, I can absolutely tell you with, with, com, with complete confidence, I met people on that ride um, that I would have never met. And probably if I'd run into them would have made an assumption based on what they look like or the people they were hanging out with or, or just, you know, those things that we all do, we, we make these split decisions. And the reality is because I was doing something that wasn't about Stephen Foster, it forced me to listen to them and hear their perspective. And I've had a lot of people that don't look like me, don't worship like me, don't, don't love like me. Uh, and, and what I liked about all of them is uh, every one of them, they, they, they had this, I'm just, whatever my circumstances are, and they're not great right now, I'm just not going to quit. Um, you know, they, they were disciplined. Um, they had this infectious story about overcoming odds. And, and uh, they, they had this attitude that said, you know, uh, the question is, isn't who is going to let me, it's who's going to stop me. And so I think that's that's an important attitude to have is let's don't let what we perceive disconnects us or divides us. Stop us from stepping back and just having conversations with people. I promise you, um, we live we do live in a great country, but it's not great because of anything we do politically. It's not great. Uh, because of even the you know the 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 systems that we have, it's great because people uh, have decided they're going to change things, and and they get together and they don't always agree, but they talk and say you know we want we want our lives to be better. Um, organizations need to do that. We need to do that as individuals. But I would say get out and um, yes, talk to people, 
but listen to people. And uh, you'll be surprised what you learn, and you'll be surprised the connections that you make that add so much value to your life, uh, w without a doubt. That is the biggest thing we've said in this whole conversation. Conversation, learning to listen, that's power right there. It will change the world. Conversation and learning to actually converse properly. It's a hard thing to do for a lot of people. I know it was for me, and I'm still learning. And thanks to people like you, I get to get out and listen to different points of view and discuss different things. It's an incredible way to learn. We all have to keep learning in life. I'm over 55 going on to the 60 mark now, and I can't stop learning. I have to have it. And the best way for me to learn is get out and meet new people. That's how you learn new things. So, yeah, and, and, and we all should want to be an influence in, first and foremost, our, our lives yeah. at home with our family, but all our, our community as well. Um, and, and, and when I say influence, I'm not talking about winning an argument. I'm talking about being that compelling force that because of your example of your willingness to step out of the me and go into the we that people you produce effects and changes on the actions and behavior and even the opinions of other people that's real influence that's, that's leadership right. that's right that is leadership that's influence in the right way and that is the way we do things here in america you know we have a system that was set up that allows us the freedom to access the knowledge and the tools that we need so all it takes is for people to start doing something figure out like you said earlier figure out what you're good at and start applying that yeah so and, 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 and I can just add one more thing, too, because I think this is really important, is um, learn to apologize, right? Uh, because yeah. I, you know, it's like, well, apologizing means I'm wrong and the other person's right. And I would say absolutely not. It just means that you value the relationship more than your ego, right? So yes. I, I say I'm sorry a lot, uh, and, and I find that that, levels the playing field it takes the, the 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 negative energy out of the room and then we can really have uh, conversations build relationships uh that are that are based on trust and respect not about me knowing more than you or being smarter than you or or being right uh, there's a saying in the motorcycle community uh riding faster than everyone else only guarantees you'll ride alone Okay, well, who's interested in that? I don't want to be alone. I don't want to do a ride alone. I want people, to, I want to engage in other people's rides. And I want to arrive together with a lot of people, and I want to get off the bike and celebrate and say, wow, look what we just did together. So uh, stop trying to be right and um, make valuing relationships more important than being right. If you can do that, uh, you'd be surprised the success you can build for yourself personally or professionally. I believe in that 100%. Learn how to compromise. Compromising is 
a very wonderful thing when you learn how to do it the proper way. So, Stephen, how do you get out and make things happen for people like your speaking engagements? Could you talk a little bit about how you do these things? Well, sure. Well, I, I believe that, uh, first of all, it's a uh, it's always a, a privilege and an honor and quite frankly a joy to being to be asked to uh, stand in front of a group of people whether it's 20 people or it's 2000 people tell your story uh, share the lessons that you've learned and try to find ways to connect with the people in the room individually but also with the organization um, i a component part of what i call full throttle leadership or full throttle goodness, depending on what I'm talking about, are sort of three component parts, passion, power, and purpose. And uh, and I'll just kind of quickly define what I think those are. So the, the first is passion. And when I say passion, I don't mean uh, what is it that you would do, uh, you know, for yourself or, or what are you passionate about? Because I hear that. I hate that question. What are you passionate about? I'm talking about passion in terms of owning the road, um, the destination. And so that requires from an organizational standpoint to answer a couple of questions. Where are you going? And we talked about this earlier. What are the goals for the organization? What are you trying to achieve? Where do you want to end up at the end of your fiscal year? Um, who's riding with you? Who's coming along? Because now you're going to be responsible for those people, and they're going to be responsible for you. Um, what do you need to get there? What are the time, talent, and treasure resources that you need to do? Have you examined them? And then the, the last question is, why does it matter? And I say this to CEOs all the time, and they hate it, but I just said, you know, a goal, an objective, a metric, a bottom line, it never inspired anybody to do anything um, other than be, okay, well, here's another goal we got to hit. So defining why you're doing it and why that matters, quite frankly, to the people who are going to make that happen for you, that is a key part of passion. So owning your piece of the road owning the culture, making sure that everyone understands their role and their responsibility. Then you move to, to power, right? So, um, listen, you got to put some gas in the fuel tank on a motorcycle. So once you define where you're going, who's coming, what do you need, then uh, the thing that is most important is what are you putting in the tank? What are the sustainable skill-building learning opportunities that everyone on the journey is going to benefit from. Part of that is defining who the influencers are in the group, who are the teachers, who are the trainers. Uh, part of that is defining the partnerships that you're going to have along the way, no matter what you're doing. Um, and then understanding that, as I said earlier, passion is important, or I like to say passion doesn't feed the baby, but conditions will change. Uh, you can draw all the straight lines between point A to point B that you want. I promise you there is no such thing as a straight line. Um, every one of us uh, are going to face obstacles in the journey that are literally going to suck away our energy and our folks. And so how do we make sure that people have the skills and the capability and the capacity to deal with those issues professionally, uh, to come back together and say, let's solve this problem and then get back on the bike? Because you don't want to ever start a ride with 
you and me and 10 of our best friends, and somewhere along the way, two of our best friends, uh, you know, get tired, lose focus, uh, equipment failures, whatever it might be, and we're just, well, we'll just leave you here. We're going to go on. Um, you start, you stop, and you finish together with the team. And to do that, uh, you've got to fuel your ride with some power. And then the last thing is the purpose. And this is the why that I mentioned earlier. Um, why is this thing that we're doing together important? Why is it meaningful? Why is it sustainable? You know, we, we live in a really chaotic, frenzied, technologically fueled world. Um, it, there's a lot of opportunities and un, unprecedented reach. Um, I like to say we're, we're more connected at any time in the history of our country, of the world, but we're less in touch. And so, um, You've got to make sure that you're telling the story, that you're sharing the experiences. Uh, that is ultimately what finishes your ride, uh, your organizational journey, your goal uh, on a high, on a success. And it also is how you build the next one. You just repeat that. So passion, power, and purpose, uh, those are the keys to success. And those are the teachable uh, takeaways and they connect with you, whether you're talking about your family, yourself individually, your church group, or your business, your employees, or any anything else that involves you plus one. Uh, passion, power, and purpose, uh, that makes the ride uh, full throttle. Well, you put a lot of passion in your purpose, soon. And I'll tell you, people can find you at fosterandfathom.com yes it's uh it's uh, www.foster and then a dash fathom f-a-t-h-o-m.com and that'll take you to our website and you'll you'll see some of the things that we're doing on a leadership front on a business consulting front but for me and most importantly you'll you'll see some of the goodness opportunities that we uh, ask people to get involved in uh, charitable things you'll you'll meet some incredible uh, combat wounded warriors who are a part of a speaker, a leadership team, what we call the full throttle leadership team, uh, combat wounded Marines, a gold star mother whose mission is first and foremost to, to tell their stories of service and sacrifice, but also to, to serve as an example to how you build sustainable culture and, uh, and how you carry your brothers and your sisters. Amen. Stephen, it was a delight having you on the Dead America podcast. Uh, before we go, is there any call to action that you would like for people to do for you? Well, you know, I, I think um, a couple of things that, that I would put out there for you is find an organization where you live, where you work, uh, and give them some of your time, your talent, and treasure. And listen, I know right now there's still a lot of people that aren't working, that don't have a lot of treasure. But we do have talents. You have talents that would be meaningful to a service organization. Uh, and uh, we all have time. Uh, you know, I hear that all the time. Well, if I only had enough time. And listen, if, if, if Ed and I could give you more time right now, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. We'd be living on our own private island in the Caribbean. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, find find a place where you can step out of isolation and out of disconnect and out of me and 
give a little bit of yourself to others. Uh, it will it will make you so much more appreciative of the life that you've built. It will give you an opportunity to meet some some new people in your life uh, to and to know that you know what I actually made a difference today, and there is nothing better than that. And from a leadership standpoint, I would say for those of you who own your own businesses or you manage people or people are responsible, I would just like to uh, give you uh, my top two full throttle leadership business tips. And here's the first one. Uh, Don't mistake horsepower for staying power. I own my business. I know that I'm the face of my business, but I'm not the secret sauce of my business. It's the people that represent my name and my face and my brand who are out there every day. Um, they're the force multipliers for greater good. So just always remember that it, your people are, are building your brand and building your business. And my, my best one, and I'll leave you with this one, and every motorcyclist who's listening to us will know this. Uh, as a leader, if you're riding lead, don't spit. Because uh, that just blows back on the people on the journey with you, and that's never a good thing. That's powerful right there. <laughs> I like well, that, Steve. Uh, thank you for being on the Dead America podcast. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Ed, for what you're doing out there to have conversations. You know, you're doing exactly what's needed, getting people from diverse backgrounds all across this great country to talk to each other. And that's how we, uh, that's how we build it back. That's how we uh, that's how we truly are great, and that is leadership. So thank you, my friend, for what you're doing. I do appreciate you, Stephen, and that's what we do here at Dead America, start conversations. Well, thank you. Keep it up, and thanks for the opportunity. It was an honor. Thank you for listening into the podcast episode today. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Also, please follow us on any of your podcast players. Or if you'd like to get a little more personal with us and really identify what we truly are about and get involved with what we are doing, make sure you go over to the Google Play Store and download our new app. We can't wait to get involved with you. And that's going to finish up this episode of the Dead America podcast. Make sure you come back next week and follow along for another great interview. I'm Ed Waters, out.